Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Good evening, Life Story Church friends and family. We're so glad that you guys are here with us tonight. We've got quite a study for you tonight. So I hope you're ready. I hope you've got a cup of coffee. Uh, We're going to dig into the scripture tonight. Uh, You may need the coffee. Uh, We're going to move through a lot of material tonight. Uh, I mentioned in the Life Story Church family page earlier that this is uh, probably, well, not probably, this is the most comprehensive study that we've ever done on uh, Revelation chapter 13. So I hope you're excited. I put it out there on Facebook and uh, social media and whatnot that, you know, if you have any interest in studying the end times, biblical end time prophecy, if you have any interest in uh, this idea of the Antichrist or uh, a mark of the beast, uh, one world government, one world monetary system, all of that stuff. Uh, I hope you'll join us tonight because we're going to do a lot of foundation setting for where these ideas come from, uh, where this theology comes from, and we're going to go straight to the Word of God to uh, uh, discover it and to study it. So we're going to be in uh, Revelation 13. We're also going to spend some time in Dan- Daniel chapter 7. Um, so, uh, have your Bibles ready, and maybe even uh, put your thumb in those couple chapters as we move back and forth tonight, okay? Uh, Before we do it, though, let's uh, give a few minutes for everybody else to join us online. Um, If you see your uh, church family members hopping on, make sure you wave, say hello, uh, tell them you're glad to see them. If you have friends uh, jumping on here, do that. Make sure that you share this video, guys, okay? There are so many families in the church that have come to Life Story Church because they saw a friend of theirs share the video, they watched the video, they felt connected, felt like they wanted to be a part of what God is doing in the Bellevue community of Nashville, uh, now meeting in Pegram right now. Uh, but guys, the uh, uh, this is how we do it, all right? We're a grassroots church plant, you know, we're not some major conglomeration with outside funding and uh, all that stuff, so... Click share. Free advertising is a great thing. Let people know what God is up to in our community and what he's doing in your life and in your church family. So uh, I think that the people uh, that see, see it, I think they'll be blessed for it because it's the word of God. So it won't return void. You can trust in that. That's the word. So uh, say hello to everybody. Click share, all that good stuff. If you haven't clicked like on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Nashville, or if you're on Instagram and haven't... Uh, do you click like there, Andrew, or do you follow? I'm not sure. I mean, what, whatever it is, uh, follow the Instagram page as well. Uh, if you've never been to LifeStoryChurch.com, please go. Uh, you'll find out who we are, what we believe, and why. Even if you're a church member or you've been coming for a while, if you've never gone to the website, read through the About Us stuff, please do that. There's uh, all kinds of resources there for you guys. Links to uh, everything that the media team does, putting out the uh, podcasts on Spotify and iTunes. Share that stuff, guys. Subscribe to that stuff. And as we go through our study tonight, I want you to be engaged and involved, commenting back and forth to each other. If I ask you a question, answer it. If you agree with something I say, click amen, because the more interaction we get on the feed as well, uh, the more traction we get and the more traffic we get and the more the word of God gets out there and the more his uh, kingdom is built, glorified, and his church is built. Amen? Here's your first chance. Amen? Amen. 
Okay, well, let's just uh, let's dive right in here. I want to I want to begin uh, this evening with going backwards a little bit first. We closed out Revelation chapter twelve last week with the uh, incredibly rewarding study that the Holy Spirit led us on. Uh, but I want to begin where we left off at the last verse of Revelation twelve, verse seventeen. A lot of scholars believe that. This verse actually should be a part of Revelation chapter 13, so I think that's a, pro- a proper place to start. Uh, you remember that these were scrolls. You know, we don't ha- didn't have uh, books then as we have uh, books now with the binding and whatnot. Scrolls were written, one page was glued to the other one. Essentially, Revelation, as we've been studying it, when you unroll the Revelation scroll, it was 15 feet long, right? So when they broke things up into chapters and verses, you know, sometimes you can tell that Maybe the last verse of a chapter maybe belongs into the next chapter, but it, not that it matters. But uh, this is one of those cases. So I want to start with Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Shall we? Let's do that. If you remember what we were talking about, there's some characters. There's the woman, the dragon, the child, uh, the archangel Michael. Uh, by the time we get through the uh, uh, Revelation chapter 13, the uh, beast of the earth and of the sea there will be a total of seven characters introduced through these two chapters. Uh, not coincidental, as usual. The number seven just pops up throughout the Word of God. But let's read Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Now remember who the woman was from last week. The woman is Israel. All right? The woman is Israel. Uh, and she's giving birth, and that's a, lo- a lot of type and shadow of Jesus, a lot of type and shadow of potentially the church. But he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, is the New King James Version. But the King James, which I've got for you guys, what you're reading, is the remnant of her seed, okay? Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So... Keep this in mind now. The 144,000 are in view here. Uh, The two witnesses also, the 144,000 that were sealed by Jesus, okay? They were sealed. uh, We read a few chapters back. There are 12,000 from every tribe of Israel. That with so them along with the two witnesses, they're in view here. Because remember from Revelation chapters 4 and 5, who the elders are in the throne room, the church especially after Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, a catching up, the elders in the throne room. If, you've lost, or if you're lost in all that, you can always go back and rewatch the videos on YouTube. So the, in any case, the 144,000 are in view here, the two witnesses also. And we're talking about the seven-year tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel is the focus of everything here, okay? America is not the center of the world, right? In in God's eye, Israel is the apple of his eye. This prophetic time that goes all the way back through the Old Testament is prophesied to be the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob, Israel, okay? So... 144,000 in view, two witnesses, and as well as anyone who comes to faith during this period, okay? Uh, Let's revisit this next graphic. There's a conflict between two seeds that we saw, that we're seeing here. He makes war between her offspring, right? The remnant of her seed. Well, what is that about? We studied this last week in uh, uh, Genesis 
this whole scene in the garden when God says, you know, uh, that the, the seed of the serpent will do war against the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman is very uh, foreshadowing in the fact that women don't have a seed, right? Uh, Reproduction-wise, they have an egg, right? So a seed of a woman that is uh, foreshadowing prophetically of a virgin birth. So the seed of the woman versus the seed of Satan as it travels down and for uh, as we read through this chapter we saw a little bit last week uh, the red, with the red dragon of revelation 12 what is the seed of satan well this coming world leader you know there has throughout the generations there is there has always been an antichrist figure popping up throughout history and that seed of satan is still the force behind the world powers today if you look throughout history, you can go back to, from, uh, just go back a generation to Hitler, right? Hate it, it would truly a, a demonic hatred for the Jewish people. You go back in time, there's always an adversary, there's always a figure rising up, even all the way back to Nimrod. I personally believe that Satan has always raised up uh, pseudo-antichrist, antichrist figures that would be ready to step into that role. Uh, because he's waiting for the rapture. The rapture event is what triggers the end time seven year period, I believe. So, because Satan doesn't know when that is, he's always got to have somebody waiting in the wings. So, is there somebody waiting in the wings right now to step onto the scene? I certainly believe so. And I certainly believe they're of age already because I think we're close, guys. I think we're close with what we're seeing in the world. But I digress. Let's get into uh, Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse 1. Let's read. And I, and I, stood on, upon the sand of the sea. Now, right out of the gate here, we're not going to get too far because that word I is actually a mistranslation. That should be translated as he. And it's not a big deal, but I pointed out so nobody's confused because we just got done reading through the dragon in 12 verse 17 and then we pop into verse 1 here and it says, and I. Well, that should be translated he because it's not... John, okay, it's the dragon, and he stood upon the sand of the sea. Let's get back to it. And saw a beast rise up out of the sea, and having seven heads and ten horns upon, uh, uh, seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. That word is diadems. It means a crown, like a regal crown. It's not, it's, there's two different words for crowns uh, th through the text. One is a crown that an athlete achieves as a prize. This is a royalty crown, okay? So seven heads, upon his horns, ten diadems, crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. What is blasphemy? It's to deny the deity of Jesus Christ, to deny that God is who he says he is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? That's blasphemy. It's not a bad word you say if you shut your thumb in the car door, right? So uh, he stood, he stood, not John, the first beast mentioned 36 different times in Revelation. Now, he is from the sea. Keep in mind what uh, sea is representative of biblically. We've been talking about this a little bit as we've studied Jude on Sundays. Sea is representative of peoples. So, visually, seas represents peoples, and in particular, biblically, bibl biblically it often represents Gentile peoples. Okay, so... Uh, it makes some believe that he'll be a Gentile, this Antichrist figure, for that reason, okay? Uh, and we'll see that again in Revelation chapter 17 and Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20 and 21. If you really want to dig in and uh, do some background work, 
many it leads many to believe that this uh, this is Rome. This is Rome or the Pope, and we're really going to dig into that a little bit later, but for now, just let me throw that out there and we'll come back around, okay? When we look at this verse, seven heads, ten horns, upon his horns, ten crowns. Does this sound like anything that you've ever read before in the Bible? What in the world is this all about, right? Well, if you're a student of the Word, you know that this is familiar. There is a a definite little horn of Daniel chapter 7 parallel here. Uh, Now, I've often told you guys, um, church members, uh, uh, that... You know, one of the first big studies I ever did as a student of the Word, when I really dug dug deeper than I ever had, was I did a Daniel Revelation Bible study. And in doing that, I discovered that you can't really understand Revelation without Daniel, and you can't fully understand Daniel without the Revelation, right? The unveiling is what Revelation means. So let's take a look at Daniel chapter 7. As I mentioned before, we're just going to read 10 verses, okay? We're going to read 17 through 27, so we won't be here too long. But it's imperative that we understand the context of all of this if we're going to understand it. And that's what we're aiming for at the end of the day, isn't it? So let's read verse 17. Those great beasts, which are four, and which are four, are four kings which rise out of the earth. So Daniel had a vision, okay? He had a vision here, and he's trying to explain it to you. I can't read the whole chapter for time's sake, but he had a vision here, and he is explaining it. Uh, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which rise out of the earth, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and uh, forever, even forever and ever. I guess that's forever, huh? Verse 19. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast. So he's got a particular, there's, he has a vision of these four beasts, which are kingdoms, if you're following, but he has a particular interest in the last one, which we should have a particular interest in the last one as well, if we believe that we're witnessing an end-time demonic uh, government, or if we believe we're on the precipice of it anyway. So, I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke into pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet. Verse 20, and the ten horns, wait, that looks familiar, doesn't it? And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell. So you've got ten horns, and an eleventh horn, some call it the little horn of Daniel, an eleventh one came up, and then three of the ten fall before it. Keep that in mind, okay? Remember these numbers. Eleven horns total, three fall down before it. So, namely, let's keep reading, namely that horn, the little eleventh horn, that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words. So, who is this little horn? Whoever he is, he's got eyes, he's a man, he speaks pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. This is the Antichrist and the Antichrist kingdom coming uh, into place right here, church. Verse 21. 
I was watching. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Important to remember this, and I'm going to make a point on this here in a minute. So remember this, prevailing against them. I want you to remember this when I get to Revelation chapter 13, verse 7, okay? Verse 22 now. Until the Ancient of Days came. So he's prevailing against the saints until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. The saints will possess the kingdom. Verse 23. Thus he said, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. We're talking one world order, one world system here. So this is a parallel type and shadow of Revelation 13. And trample it and break it in pieces. Verse 24, the ten horns are ten kings. Okay? So it didn't make sense initially in Revelation, so we go back to Daniel and it explains it for us. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. Again, that's the eleventh, right? And he shall be different than the first ones and shall d subdue three kings. He's, he's, he's speaking at length here to explain this to you guys, all right? He shall subdue three kings. He shall speak, verse 25, pompous words against the Most High, and shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and he shall uh, intend to change times and laws. This is where we get the idea that the Antichrist, when he comes, how, uh, one of the defining uh, characteristics will be that he'll try to change the dates and the times and all that stuff. Then the saints shall be given into his hand again. So he's repeating this. The saints will be given into his hand. Remember this when we get to verse 7. Now, how long are the saints given into his hand? For a time and times and a half time. There's that three and a half year period again that we saw show up last week, okay? And we have seen show up so often in speaking of the time of Jacob's trouble, okay? Whether it's the two witnesses that minister, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, or speaking of the great tribulation, which is the latter half, the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. Here we're just seeing it again. It's a common theme. That's why I say uh, often that this is the most referenced period of time in the Bible. Well, when the Bible references certain periods of time, you know, the age of grace, for example, right, or the the time of the Old Covenant, the time of the Law period, which was led all the way up until John the Baptist. There is no other time in Scripture that is more talked about than this time of Jacob's trouble with the three and a half and the three and a half. So we're seeing it again. Let's keep reading though. Verse 26, but the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume, the, consume and destroy it forever. Verse 27, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So, 
Now you see, don't you? You see the correlation between Revelation chapter 13, just that first verse, and Revelation or, and Daniel chapter 7. But we're not done yet, okay? There is also a correlation between Daniel chapter 7 and this, this vision of the four beasts that Daniel had with Daniel chapter 2 as well. Now, I don't have time to get through all of the scripture on Daniel chapter 2 tonight, but hopefully you guys will read it, okay? I hope that tonight's sermon is just a great jumping off point for you guys into doing your own Daniel Revelation Bible study, okay? So can I see this next graphic here? This comes to us from Daniel chapter 2. If you remember what happened in Daniel chapter 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and it was this shiny silver, this shiny statue, uh, head of gold, breast and chest of silver, midsection of bronze, feet of clay and, and whatnot, uh, mixture, right? Well, this is a mirror. So God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream and it brought in Daniel to interpret it in Daniel chapter two. And then God gives Daniel his own vision of the four beasts, but they still mirror history in advance, detailing history in advance. As I always like to say, we hold a faith and a, a, a book from a supernatural plane that literally is a book of prophecy and details history in advance. And we are the only world religion that can make that claim. And Daniel is a wonderful evidence of that. So let me look at that graphic one more time. Uh, I want you to get this. So we're, look, we're, we see Daniel 7 locking up with Revelation chapter 13, and now we see Daniel 7 locking up as well with Daniel chapter 2. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, Daniel interpreted it, and then Daniel had his own dream uh, of, the, of these kingdoms that would rise and fall, leading to ultimately an end-time world government system that is what we're talking about here in Revelation. So... As we can uh, continue to study through Revelation chapter uh, Revelation, we're going to come to eventually here in a few weeks Revelation chapter seventeen. But I want to jump ahead to it briefly tonight, just a few scriptures in it, because not only is Daniel uh, is Revelation chapter thirteen tied into Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter seven tied into Daniel chapter two, but all three of them are also tied into Revelation chapter seventeen. So can we read Revelation chapter seventeen? Verse 9 through 11. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Oh, this is going to be a good study when we get there. Verse 10. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, get this, one is. The other has not yet come. Okay? And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. I'm thinking three and a half years, right? Anyway, continue for a short time. Verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven. So he's of the seven. He's of the seventh, but he is another, but he's in like while. Likewise, of the seventh, think of the tenth horns and the eleventh rising out of the tenth. Here we're seeing the eighth uh, rising out of the seventh, and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Interesting point here. That word perdition there, if you uh, transliterate it into the Greek, it's Apollo, which 
it's incredibly relevant when you start talking about uh, demonic things, and like we've been talking about in Jude, fallen angel stuff, and uh, I don't have time to go there tonight, all right? Uh, the Freemasons, did, here, I'll just throw you a nugget. Every time, every time there's a presidential election in Washington, D.C., the Freemasons hold a ceremony and they pray for the spirit of Apollo to return. In Geneva, Switzerland, where they have the Large Hadron Collider trying to open a dimensional gate uh, studying dark matter. You can read all this on their website. It's not even conspiracy theory stuff. It sounds crazy, but it's, it's true, man. It's science, right? So they built that a facility on the uh, ruins of the old pagan temple to Apollo. And so... And they're trying to communicate, and that speaks to the opening of the Abuso, which we studied uh, a few chapters back, right? I think it was in chapter 9. Anyway, I digress, okay? What is this all about? <laughs> what is this all about? Well, we know that they all correlate, all these four chapters that we've been to, right? So let's put it all together now, shall we? Let's see this next graphic. Can we see this next one? Ten horns equal ten kings. Seven heads equal seven kingdoms, seven demonic kingdoms that were to be upon the earth, one giving way to the next. And when the last one comes, then one rises out of the last. So what kingdoms are these, you ask? Well, we see uh, historically Samaria, Nimrod, Babel, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, you saw in that last graphic, Greece, you know, we referenced to, uh, you know, remember when uh, Michael came to visit uh, Daniel and he said, I've got to, I was fought against by the prince of Persia and now when I leave, I'm going to have to fight against the prince of Greece, right? When Greece was, that was prophetic because Greece would be the nation that would follow the Persian Empire. So, Anyway, let's see this next. Let's put it all together. Can I see the, this, the next graphic? These are Satan's seven super kingdoms, guys. All right. Look at this scripture. Revelation 12, 3, if you recall from last week. And there appeared another wonder in the heavens, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. That uh, theme is continued into 13. And seven crowns upon his head. All right. Let's break this down. Do you see that on the left? You've got Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, that's four. Greece is five. Okay. Rome is uh, six. And a second Roman, one that comes out of the other, would be seven. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then the 11th horn rises out of it. Let's see if you can make sense of this as we put it all together from Revelation 17.10. And there were seven kings. You see the seven there? Five are fallen. Now, why are five fallen? Because the time that John is writing this and receiving this vision, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece were no more. What was the kingdom that had put him on Patmos, on the island? Rome was the persecuting force. That was the present kingdom. Rome ruled ruled at the time, and this will come in when we're trying to identify the kingdom again later. We'll talk about this more at the end. But So it's the kingdom... Uh, that is. One is, and the other is not yet come. What has not come yet? Well, remember from Daniel's vision, one comes out of the other. Remember uh, uh, remember what we just read about uh, the eighth coming out of the seventh and the eleventh coming out of the tenth, okay? One other is not yet come, and when he cometh, 
he must continue a short space. Again, I said, I'm thinking three and a half years, right? But look at Revelation 17, 11. The very next verse tells us, identifies who this will be. Why do we think it's a second Roman Empire potentially? Because the beast that was and is not, and even he is the eighth, as we read, and is of the seventh, so what was the seventh? Rome, so that had to be a secondary of Rome somehow and go into and goeth into perdition. Okay, so we put that all together. This is where we get our idea of who this kingdom upon the earth may be and why we think it may be a revived Roman Empire. But why ten kings then? This is so there's seven empires, the eighth comes out of them. Right. Why, what are we talking about here, guys? Why are we looking at, why 10 kings? Where does this idea of 10 kings come from? Well, interestingly enough, if you're just a student of history, you can fit, figure it out pretty quickly. After Alexander the Great's death, remember the Grecian Empire, Greece, rose up after the Persian Empire, as prophesied by Michael, right? When Alexander died, four generals took over for him and they split the empire of Greece into four different kingdoms and sections, okay? Uh, can I, we see this graphic? And it's, by the way, it's outlined for us in Daniel chapter 11, verses 5 through 35. These, uh, these generals were Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, the Seleucid Empire, and Ptolemy, all right? Uh, Cassander received the Macedonian and Gre uh, Greece uh, area, Asia Minor and Thrace went to Lysimachus, and Syria and Babylon to the Seleucids, and Egypt, Arabia, and Israel to Ptolemy, all right? Can I see this next graphic? I've got a little map for you guys to kind of ho hopefully it'll make more sense to you. You see where they were. That's where they were, all right? And screenshot this for your Daniel study, because this will come in handy when you study the king of the north and the king of the south and whatnot, and uh, realize that history is being detailed in advance for you, okay? There they were. That's the kingdom of Greece that was divide up, divided up into four, so that gives us a total of ten kings with an eleventh rising out of them, okay? The word of God, church, is so precise. It is so precise that skeptics say it, that the book of Daniel must have been written uh, after these kingdoms rose. That's the, the, they, have no, they have no other ammunition to discount uh, the true date, which is the biblical account, the ancient account, letter of Daniel, the uh, writings of Daniel, they have no other reason to say that it isn't properly dated other than there's no way that it was too accurate. It was too accurate. It must have been written after these kingdoms to be that, well, it's prophecy. And not only is it prophecy, it's not a false prophecy. It's a prophecy given by the one true God. So put it all together, all right? Put it all together here. <laughs> We're one verse into Revelation chapter 13. And this tells us that we are looking for a revived Roman Empire of some kind, okay? Now ask yourself this question. Is there a global system or state alive today that mirrors Rome in its pagan idolatry uh, by the way of governance or symbolism? Ask yourself that question. Anybody? I see this next graphic. Now, I, I think that I have. I think I see it. There is 
There's something strange going on in the neighborhood here. Did you know that there are three city-states that are independent of the nation in which they reside? Did you know that the city of London is not actually a part of, of uh, England? It's its own independent nation-state. Now, we're all familiar with the Vatican, uh, the fact that the Vatican is actually not part of Italy. It's its own nation-state. But this might be surprising to a lot of you guys. We know that Washington, D.C., isn't a state, and uh, the left always talks about making it a state so they can have a representative in Congress and Senate and everything else, and that would be disastrous. But the city of Washington, D.C. is actually its own nation state. It's actually, there's a good reason they don't vote. It's, it's wild to think about, although all the people who live there, primarily, obviously, they're citizens of the U.S., but it is its own dependent thing. That's why they have their own police force and everything else. Interestingly enough, these three cities represent globally a part of the order that we have. What happens every time there's uh, a war that's sanctioned by the UN and agreed upon by the UN uh, and the global elites? Who goes to war? We do. The United States of America is essentially the military power of this order that is to come. Uh, London is the financial power, and Rome, what do you think that is? The spiritual power, right? What do we see in, uh, in the end time scenario? We see a one world religion, one world currency, and who's going to put the boot on the throat to make sure that it all happens? Now, strangely enough, ask somebody tell me this. Why in each of these nation states do they have the same, the same statue in, in, in the midst of, in the center of those city-states? Why do they have, why do they have uh, the phallus of Osiris the as, that, as that symbol in each of these? Well, uh, you know, we don't have time to get tonight to get into all of what, what that is, the, the pagan idolatry, the Babylonian, false religions that traveled to Egypt, you know, the story of of uh, uh, Semiramis and um, uh, Nimrod that traveled and, and um, that traveled to Egypt. The same stories regurgitated with new names and whatnot. Why do we have pagan idolatry in the center as the centerpieces of each of these cities? Look at the architecture. Even you can go to the Library of Congress and and right on the website of the Library of Congress you can see. Uh, uh, quotes from Thomas Jefferson where he said he wanted, in the designing of Washington, D.C., he wanted to make sure that we did one thing, and that is to honor the pagan gods of Rome. Guys, I'm just telling you, if you're looking for an interesting study on this and you want a good jumping off point, Tom Horn did a documentary called The Belly of the Beast on this very subject, and I encourage you guys to watch it. If you do, I think you'll have a lot of insight that you've never seen, that you've not had before regarding the true demonic forces that are at play today in the world and that are truly running everything and behind the scenes and pushing for this great reset, pushing for this uh, uh, one world system, pushing for all of the, uh, everything that we're seeing happen right now. So, 
You know, I've always wondered why in the world is the eye of Horus on our money? Have you ever wondered that? You ever looked at the back of a dollar bill and there's the eye of Horus on the top of an Egyptian pyramid? Why all of the pagan uh, symbolism on our money in the Christian nation, right? Anyway, so I think that what we're seeing today, are we seeing a, re the revi a revived Roman Empire? Yeah, I believe that the global elite system that we are seeing, that we're witnessing to, that meets once a year, the, the Bilderberg Foundation and all of that, that's not conspiracy theory, guys. That's, it might have been 15 or even 10 years ago, people might have thought that you were talking conspiracy theory when you talked about that stuff, but it's out in the open now. So uh, it's very real. Uh, all, of, all of the globalist world leaders, they get together every year and discuss the future, and, and they're all into this, guys. They're all in. And we see those, uh, the powers globally and how they're manipula manipulating things. Why in the world? Did you see in the headlines during the uh, Australian elections? Why is the Vatican sending $2 billion into Australia for Australian elections? It's just, you know, curious and curious. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 2. Uh, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Again, if you're just reading this, uh, if you're new to this, leopard, bear, why the symbolism? Where is this coming from? What is this even talking about? Well, of course, it's from Daniel chapter 7, which we just read. It's Daniel's vision of the four beasts, with the fourth beast being the end-time global government system, okay? Except, interestingly here, it's in reverse order, lion, bear, leopard, okay? Which also, interestingly, if you look at the kingdoms that they represented, you know, the lion communicates arrogantly. What was a big problem that Nebuchadnezzar had? The arrogance, right? When he has made a statue of himself, which became problematic in Daniel chapter 3 for uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The bear controls extensively. The Persian Empire had a greater control over that region. Uh, the, the first, really, the wor first world empire that had such control. And the leopard conquers swiftly. And that was Alexander the Great's calling card, was swift victory. Let's keep reading verse 3. And I saw, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, again, speaking of the first beast out of the sea. And all the world wandered after the beast. So his head is wounded. This speaks to us of, of Scripture in the Old Testament that gives us a physical description. There's one Scripture in the Old Testament that tells us something about the appearance of this end-time world leader antichrist, and it comes to us from Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17. Let's read it. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So, he's wounded. He's wounded. His right eye and his right arm, his right arm utterly dried up. Um, you know, this harkens to the, to the question, you know, those who take the mark of the beast here in a minute as we'll study, is it 
you know, the head or the right arm, is it in honor of him or something to that aspect, uh, in that respect, I don't know. But here we see that Antichrist figure wounded, right eye, right arm. Remember that as we move forward. Verse 4. Verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon. They worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. Remember the dragon is, sat dragon is Satan. This beast, Antichrist figure, little horn, which gave power. So the dragon gave power to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So he is powerful. But interesting point here, guys. They worshipped him. Don't let that be lost on you. His followers are Satan worshippers, truly. Satan, we, we think of Satan worshippers now. We're like, you know, we think that they follow the book of Satan, the book of, you know, this, and they're wear all black, and they're real goth and all that. No, 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 no. You know, they, what we need to realize is that they... True Satan worshippers believe that he is the bright morning star and that he, they are illuminated by him, right? Uh, they have a whole theology that is whack, right? <laughs> they have a whole theology uh, that makes him this beautiful, saving person, right? Then it's twisted. Well, of course, he is the deceiver, right? But they're literally, quite literally here, they worship him. So they're Satan worshippers, all right? Verse 5. And there was given, there was given unto him, Antichrist, a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. We've already seen that. Didn't we see that? Daniel was talking about his big mouth, right? So he's Mr. Big Mouth, essentially, right? We saw that in Daniel 7, verse 8, and he talks of that again in uh, Daniel 11, verse 36 and 38. And Paul even talks about his boasting in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. So he is a loudmouth boasting and he, he runs his mouth and he slanders God, all right? Uh, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. So let's keep reading. And power was given unto him to continue, how long? Oh man, here it is again, 40 and two months, 43 and a half years, guys. Again, what do I always say? The most talked about period of, of time in history. Verse six, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and, and his tabernacle. So against God and against his tabernacle and against them that dwell in heaven. And this is one of my favorite verses because who's in heaven? Who's in heaven that he is blaspheming and talking trash about, right? Well, where's the church? Remember, we're in Revelation chapter 13. Where did we find the church in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1? What happened? Where did we find the, the church in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 5 in the throne room? So he's blaspheming, blaspheming against God. He's running his mouth against those that dwell in heaven. I believe that's you. Verse 7, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now, remember, what did I say when we were reading back in Daniel? I said, remember this in verse 7. Remember this in verse 7. So the, the Antichrist, is, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. This is so interesting. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So he's, he is in charge, guys. He's in charge. He overcomes the saints. Remember Daniel chapter 7, it was verse 21. 
And also chapter 8, verse 12 and 24, it's mentioned. And chapter 11, verse 31, it's mentioned. And Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, it's mentioned. This is an identifier, guys, of who these saints are. Who are these saints in the end time of Jacob's trouble, the seven-year tribulation period? Who are these saints? Okay? Who are they? This is an identifier. How is it an, an identifier? Because if we look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 8, what do we see? Take a look at it, guys. Read it with me. Come on, Matthew 16, verse 18. And I also say to you that you, Peter, that say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, right? Such a cool verse in so many ways, but I want to focus on this one thing right now. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, okay? Authority was given to the church right here, guys, right here. I mentioned this briefly on Sunday, right? What was happening in that they, uh, Caesarea Philippi, where is that? That's where they were in Matthew chapter uh, 16, right here. They were at the foot of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, where the fallen angels fell in Revelation chapter 6, and then they were punished and they were put into Sheol, hell, right? Sheol, place of holding. That's where they were put. They believed, the Israel, Israelites at the time, the Hebrews, all believed that hell, Sheol, was under that mountain. And there was a cave on that mountain that they believed was the gate of hell. Okay? And Jesus stood there with the disciples. He stood there with the disciples and said that to make that point. Specifically, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Okay? And then what's the next thing he did? He sent out 70 disciples in power to minister the gospel, share the gospel. And they went out, and when they came back, they were shocked that they were able to cast demons out of people in the name of Jesus, that they had authority over demons. Why? Because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. In the name of Jesus some of y'all just need to pray the name of Jesus over your homes. Every night, cast any demonic spirit away from your family, your kids, your home. In the name of Jesus, warring angels surround this house. In the na name of Jesus, the blood of Christ is on the doorpost of this home. Because we have the authority over every demonic principality right now, guys. Uh, and here we see it. He's making that point. And there's more to it, but I don't have time for it tonight. All right? What do we see here? So authority has got the... How in the world can Satan prevail against the church, right? So that tells us one thing, that all saints are not necessarily the church. All saints are not necessarily the church. We have to understand this, okay? Or revelation gets really confusing every time you read saint and you think it's you. It's not you, all right? Uh, or you would have authority over... You would have authority in the name of Jesus, okay? If you don't understand that, it, the word can seem to contradict itself, okay? While Israel is being preserved, within view, the 144,000, while Israel is being preserved, guys, during this time, if you're a believing Gentile, you're killed. The Antichrist goes out to make war, right? So believing Gentiles, now the, the, the Jews, those that are kept safe, the 144,000, you know, taken to Petra, they're protected, but if you come to Christ, put your, put your faith in him and believe in the, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of your heart, uh, there's no two ways about it during this period of time. Uh, as a, as a it's, it's not a work. Now, some people like to say, well, the work that they, there's 
hyper-dispensationalists try to paint this picture all the time that there's uh, going to be a new gospel during the seven-year tribulation and the work they have to do is to be beheaded for salvation. No, it's a result of being saved is the beheading, uh, in my view, in my view. The church age is over, but that's what we have to understand here, guys. The church age is over at the rapture and the beginning of Jacob's trouble. You know, John the Baptist ended the dispensational period of time that was the period of the law. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 through 13 tells us that for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, then Jesus was here, right? Then Jesus stepped on the scene, okay? The church age began with the arrival of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, okay? Uh, there will be a new dynamic. There will be a new dynamic in the tribulation period in regards to the Holy Spirit coming and going perhaps as it did prior to the church age because one thing we know is the restrainer is within us. That's why Paul was so blown away when he's talking about the mystery of the gospel. It's available to Gentiles as well, but also that the Holy Spirit would come, seal your heart, and stay and be indwelling because all up until that point, all up until that point, the Holy Spirit would come and he'd give a word of prophecy to his prophets and then go. The Holy Spirit would come and strengthen uh, uh, Elijah as he ran down, uh, lifted up uh, his his uh, uh, outfit and took off down the hill and ran ahead of the chariots, right? He would come upon people in power and strength and with wisdom and, and prophecy, and then he'd go. But that's a, that's a part of this beautiful thing that was just so mind-blowing to Paul, okay? Is that the Holy Spirit is here and he's indwelling. So if the restrainer is removed, all the Thessalonians, right? If this restrainer is what restrains is the Holy Spirit, and where's the Holy Spirit live on earth? Within us, right? So if we are removed through a rapture event, people come to faith and salvation. I mean, there's just going to be a new dynamic, okay? It's gonna, I still believe that salvation is through faith alone during that time because it's, it, it was in the Old Testament, Allah Abraham. I believe it will be again, but but it definitely will be a new dynamic on the earth. Okay, uh, I had an interesting conversation with Amber about that uh, night before last. But in any event, let's keep reading. And all that dwell upon the earth. So, getting back to context here, uh, he'll overcome them. Power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Interesting point here. I've mentioned this before throughout our study. After Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, no longer do you see him referring to beloved, my beloved, my church. Letters to the churches, my beloved. After Revelation chapter 1, when he talks about people who live on the earth, he calls they're basically earth dwellers, those that dwell upon the earth. So there it is in verse 8. And then all that dwell upon the earth again shall worship him. Whose names, who are they that dwell upon the earth? whose names are not written in the book of life, okay, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the word, a world. How do you get your name written in the book of life? You put your faith and trust in the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, and his name is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and Messiah. So they that dwell upon the earth, cosmos is the word in the Greek. It's mentioned 13 times throughout here. Uh, uh, in any event, we could get into the book of life and it was known to Moses, mentioned in Exodus 32, Daniel chapter 12. You know, we teach on this around the Feast of Trumpets time, uh, the books of life, death, and intermediary books that are opened on uh, Yom Teruah, 
uh, in any case. Uh, verse 9, let's keep reading. If any man hath an ear, let him hear. Verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience of the faith of the saints. And now as we get into verse 11, we see another character come to light here. The second beast. And this is the beast out of the earth. So we had a beast out of the sea out of the peoples, potentially Gentile. Now there's a beast out of the earth. Let's read 11. And behold, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now a lot of people think that this beast, might he might be Jewish um, because you know, he comes out of the earth, and that word there is Eretz. Eretz is the word there, and that means the land. And what is Israel but the land? So some people think, I don't know. Uh, but this is the false prophet. We had the Antichrist figure come up. This is what who is known as the false prophet, okay? Horns throughout Scripture are always representative of authority and dominion. He's got two horns, so authority and dominion. And he spake, right, that word, where have we heard that before? The serpent spake unto Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis 49. 2 Corinthians 11. Anyway, this leader may be a Jew. Uh, Ezekiel 21, Ezekiel 28. And it speaks of him being of the circumcision, potentially. But he, one thing we know about him is that he is received by the nation of Israel at this time. Those unbelieving Jews, the nation of, of Israel, he will be received by them, which is wild to think about, isn't it? To think about the, a global world leader that would be received by both Palestinians and Jews alike. Anyway, let's keep going. Verse 12. What did he do? And he, he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. And he caused the earth and them, there it is again, them which dwell therein, earth dwellers, not you, to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So he, uh, that speaks back to, again, that scripture uh, in Zechariah, verse 11, 17. Well, remember his eye and his arm withered up, okay? So he gets... What we know about him is he suffers a wound to the point where people think that he is dead. A deadly wound he suffers anyway. Okay, whose deadly wound was healed. Verse 13. And he doeth, this starts to get really interesting here, guys. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. What are we talking about here, guys? This is occultist power. This is power of the occult, okay? This is, these aren't parlor tricks. This is real, okay? He's going to do these great wonders. He's been given power by Satan, who is the Lord of the air of this earth at this point, okay? Verse 14, And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. 
which had the wound by sword and did live. Again, speaking directly, uh, directly back to Ezekiel, or Zechariah, excuse me, eleven seventeen. Whew, there's a lot there. So they make an image to worship. That says, again, this is why we did that, started in Daniel, right? This goes right back to the Daniel chapter 3. We meant, aforementioned Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They wouldn't kneel down before the giant golden statue that uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had built and required everybody to worship. It's that Antichrist spirit, right? Uh, again, but sign, think about this. Signs and miracles. Signs and miracles. Is the world today ready for a global world leader to start doing miracles and start calling down fire from heaven? Can you imagine for a second, pick a politician in your mind, okay? A global world leader. Do you think the world is ready to witness them doing miracles? My goodness. I, I don't think the world, <laughs> I don't think the world is remotely ready for that, guys, okay? Oh my, interesting note on this though. Prophecy, remember this. Prophecy, not signs and wonders, is Jesus's primary evidence. There's a big move in the church today of signs and wonders. And boy, there's, I mean, there's some videos on YouTube that you can watch of these uh, uh, apostate, heretical, bad teaching churches that they're, they're truly relying, pushing, relying on and pushing experience, like I'm going to have an experience at, at church as a representative of God rather than just simply this truth of his word and, and, and the Holy Spirit leading into all truth. But uh, I digress. Just remember that. Prophecy is uh, Jesus's primary evidence. So if it's Jesus, signs and wonders is not, is not his bag. That's not how he, he rolls to reveal himself. He does it through prophecy. He does it through revelation. He does it primarily through his word. Verse 15, verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. Now, what does that mean? I have no idea, but when we're talking about I mean, we're talking about technology potentially here. Is there a hologram of some kind? So they make an image to be worshipped of him, and it comes to life. I mean, are we talking about some CGI stuff that uh, that um, John is trying to explain through his uh, uh, seventy uh, through his ninety A.D. worldview? I don't know. But they gave life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So anybody that doesn't worship the image of the beast again, right, goes straight back to Daniel. Anybody who would not worship the image of the beast would be killed. So not even just failure to worship the beast, but failure to worship his image even. Hmm makes me think of uh, the terrorist attacks that are uh, launched against these newspapers and magazines and in France and whatnot, that if you even draw a picture of, if you dishonor a Muhammad, right, uh, through, if you dishonor him in a picture or a cartoon, they show up and tear the place up. Anyway, uh, just conjecture there. Verse 16, and he causeth, he causeth, 
both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. But who would do that, right? Isn't that crazy? Who would actually do that? Can I see this next picture, this next graphic? I think that we might be seeing a little foreshadowing. There may be a little foreshadowing going on. Do these, uh, or maybe that's not the right word, conditioning, conditioning of the populace perhaps happening right now. Have you noticed this? It's always, before you walk into anywhere, it's a scan the forehead, scan the forehead. If you go to the doctor, the picture on the top left is Starbucks for crying out loud. Fever check required, fever check required. It's, I don't know, there may be some correlation to it here, guys, okay? Um, and actually, in Europe now, they're scanning your right hand. So they're scanning your forehead, and you can even get your temperature checked by scanning your hands. There's a, a B-roll video that you can see of scan for them scanning foreheads or scanning hands in some of these places where they're going in. So I, are we seeing conditioning? Are we that close that, that the elites are getting people ready for this right hand and forehead? Could be. I don't know. Can I see this next graphic? This is interesting as well on this uh, line of thinking. Biden faces growing pressure to support vaccine passports for travel as the White House skirts around the issue. This is, this is uh, every world leader is talking about this right now. Trudeau was talking about this in Canada. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu in Israel, they're forerunners on all this stuff. That you've got to show that you've taken the vaccine before you can even get on a plane in some of these places. So are we being preconditioned to get ready to, sh to show papers, please, like the Nazis would say, right? I mean, it's just rep history repeating itself over again. Why does this happen? Again, could it be that Satan, not knowing when the rapture is going to happen and the, the period is truly going to begin, could he just have somebody ready with every generation? Uh, I don't know. Can, my conjecture, anyway. And the conjecture of some great scholars. So, verse 17 so a mark in their right hand and on their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So, mark on your forehead, your right hand, one or the other. You can't buy or sell or trade. You've got to have the mark. The mark of the beast or the number of his name. So is the vaccine the mark? I've heard a lot of conjectures about that, uh, and we'll get to that here in a second. But uh, mark, that word mark of the beast, that's the Greek word karagma. Okay? It just means brand or seal. Interestingly enough, a mark is prohibited. Uh, a mark is prohibited in Leviticus chapter 19, Deuteronomy 14, Isaiah chapter uh, 49, Ezekiel uh, chapter 9, uh, Exodus chapter 13. Let's read verse 18, and then I've got a graphic to show you on that, point to make on that. Here is wisdom. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. In other words, can we see this next graphic? It is this, six, six, six. 
There have been more uh, books and web pages dedicated to this than I think any other topic in the entire Bible. People just cling to it and find it fascinating, right? This number of a man, 666, uh, there's the references to the scripture I mentioned a moment ago, as far as a mark being prohibited to the Jewish people. So think of this, during the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, people that typically know they're prohibited from taking a mark, okay, and that, uh, that goes back to all of the pagan gods would have, uh, um, they would require that their followers and worshipers have a tattoo or mark of loyalty to them. So when the Jews coming out of captivity, the God specifically, uh, God specifically uh, told his people, don't take a mark on you like the pagans do. Why? Well, because it's was simply meant to be a sign that because you're free, you don't have to have a mark for me because who is Yahweh? Who is Yehovah? Uh, he gives liberty. He sets captives free. That's who he is, right? So <clears throat> this isn't a, um, a lot of legalists will jump off and say, you know, you can't have a mark on your body, mark of the beast. You can't, you know, the Jews didn't take marks. You shouldn't get a tattoo. Well, I'm in trouble if that's the case, right? But uh, the the true meaning behind that was because it was for freedom. So, But now we're free. So uh, as Paul uh wonderfully outlined for us in Romans chapter 14, not that I'm advocating for that. Uh, in any case, 666. Six is the number of a man. You have to understand that on the sixth day, who was made? Adam, right? On the sixth day was man. The Sabbath was given for man. What day of the week is that, right? Well, uh, uh, six days plus one, right? So there's six days in the week and then we rest, right? So six we work. Six is the number of man. Goliath, uh, David and Goliath, right? Interestingly enough, Goliath was six cubits uh, tall. Uh, he had a six-shekeled spear. He had six pieces of armor, 666, right? Nebuchadnezzar's image that he made was 60 cubits high, six cubits wide, six instruments of music were played. Okay, so... Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the does anybody want to guess how the dimensions of the Washington Monument, monument the uh, obelisk uh, phallus of Osiris that stands in our nation's nation's capital, uh, it is six hundred six thousand six hundred and sixty inches high and six hundred and sixty six uh, inches wide. Strange. Anyway. But whose number is this? We've got to remember this. 666, it is the number of a man. So is that your social security number? Taking the mark, is that your social... There has been a lot of conjecture over the years. Like I said, this topic has been beat like a dead horse, as they say. Okay? Uh, no. Okay? Is your social security number the number of a man, the Antichrist? No, it's your social security number. What about barcodes at the store? You know, uh, is that the name of the Antichrist, I venture to say no, right? But what about insertable chips, you know, RFID chips, all this stuff? Whatever, regardless of what you think it may be, you have to remember this, okay? It is his number and name that are the critical identity issues here, okay? Also, uh, remember that the word 
uh, mark is karagma, which means his brand, his seal upon you. Essentially, effectively, it is a pledge of loyalty, not something that you can accidentally get. Okay, Whatever it is, though, taking the mark disqualifies you for salvation. Disqualifies you. Now, some, some gr grab a hold of that and think, you know, well, could it be... Looking back to Genesis 6, looking back to why God flooded the earth and there was only one pure bloodline family left at that time, Noah, and that's why he preserved them on the ark, right? The seed line of Christ and all that stuff. Talked a little bit about that in Jude. Could it be that when you take this mark, this whatever it is, that it's DNA altering in some way? I don't know. And then that gets back into the vaccine stuff, right? Because it's RNA and it changes your DNA, right? They've said RNA. RFID chips actually have the capacity to change your DNA. Whatever it is, guys, could it be one of those? I mean, I'm not going to say no, but whatever it is, you've got to know that it's his brand. It's his seal. You take it out of loyalty. You can't buy, sell, or trade without it, but you take it as a sign of loyalty to him, and those that take it worship him. Okay, So it's not something that you're going to accidentally take like, oh, no. It was the vaccine, and I took it. I didn't even know. Right? And it's you know, it's a it's going to be something that people deliberately do, and that's why it's so offensive to God, and it disqualifies them for salvation. So it quite possibly could have some DNA altering effect. In any case, a lot of people get into this stuff. You know, there is a study of letters in Hebrew letters. It's called uh, gematria. All right, letters in Hebrew, letters in Greek, letters in Latin. They all have numeric values. So people will look at. Uh, the name, the letters, and whatnot, and they'll try to try to torture the data until it confesses that anything, as Chuck Missler always liked to say, right? Uh, you know, they try to take people's names and try to... I saw once where somebody took the study of gametry and tried to apply it to Ronald, to Ronald Reagan, and his name came out to be 666, right? I mean, they have done it with just about anybody. They can make it work with just about anybody, it seems like. You know, the only problem with that is that the English language, we don't, we have numbers, we have letters. Letters don't have numeric assignments, okay? So, there we have it. Um, it just doesn't work if you're going to try to do that to an English name. But in regards to, can I see this next graphic? If you want to truly make a deep study, take a screenshot of this. Let's just leave it up for a few seconds. I don't have time to get into all this, but there are Old Testament allusions and New Testament allusions to this Antichrist figure, okay? Take a look at that. That's a lot, right? You can do quite the study. He's the Assyrian. He's the uh, uh, Antichrist. He's the beast. You know, he's... The, it was, this is... This is quite a study here, okay? Um, this 666, this satanic trinity is what it is, guys. You know, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, Satan, he's not a creator. He has no creative power or ability. He just, he wants to be God. He wants to be worshipped as God, so he just copies God. So what do we see here? We see these three figures. We see Satan, the dragon, the Antichrist, and the false prophet the satanic trinity that were the result of that uh, Genesis 3 seed line of the serpent. So, uh, I want to look at this from another angle, though. Let me say this, guys. If you are... I, 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 want, I talked to Andrew on Sunday, and I said, we know we might need to make 
Re- Revelation chapter 13. We need, might need to break it up into uh, two different sermons. But I opted against that, and I opted to give you forewarning that this is the most comprehensive study we've ever done on this chapter. So if, you're, if you are late and it's running long, um, come back and watch it. That's fine. We love you. But uh, we're, we're not too far. We don't have too far to go here, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, okay? I know we're past 8 o'clock already. But I want to finish. I want to finish this out. There's another. There's another conjecture that has been offered that I think bears um, uh, that deserves our attention. I should say. Um, can we take a look at this next picture? So the number is six six six. Okay. Essentially in Greek, Christos, right? Christ. You see the Greek spelling there up in the left. If you take the first letter, the last letter, there's a middle letter. It's kind of that squiggly looking snake thing there on the second line. That's how in Greek you would spell Antichrist. And that's what you see in uh, the uh, ancient codexes for when in this scripture, when he says that here is his number, 666. We read 666 in English, but this is what it looked like uh, in the original Greek. Okay, so 600, 60, and 6. All right, so for you Greek scholars, there you go. I'm showing this to you for a purpose, though. Uh, Walid Shabbat is a, a scholar, a, a teacher, a Christian. He's an Arab man. He grew up Muslim. I fell in love with uh, a Christian girl, uh, asked her to marry him. <laughs> it, interesting story. Uh, they made an agreement. You know, they both, she wanted him to become a Christian. He wanted her to become a Muslim. They made it, came to an agreement that each would read the other's book. She said, you read my book, I'll read your book, and we'll, at the end, we'll decide who's right. Well, she read his book. Her faith was unwavering. He read her book and he gave his life and heart to Jesus Christ. And he said, I couldn't believe it as I read the scriptures that, I, that the Antichrist figure that I was reading in her book was the exact description of the Mahdi. The, uh, the Muslim Messiah was a mirror image of the Antichrist of Revelation and Daniel. So he gave his life to Jesus and began to study, and he found himself traveling. There, there is there, one of the four uh, ancient codexes of the Word of God. There's four primary ones, and we studied this, I think, like about a year ago. Uh, when, uh, we were at the middle school. We did a series on foundations and the journey that the Word of God has been on throughout history and why we can trust it and where it's been and whatnot. Well, there there's three codexes that we don't trust the translations as much, and the Textus Receptus is the translation which we, which is what the the uh, reformers used and trusted. And I don't need to get into all that. In any case, Walid Shabbat went and took a uh, uh, went to a Catholic church because they were they were dis- they were putting on display the Codex Vaticanus, which dates to 350 A.D. He just wanted to see one of the oldest codexes. Well. The, the word happened to be open to Revelation chapter 13. As he walked in, he looked down and he saw it. He saw that Greek symbol, those letters for 666, and his mind was blown away coming from a Muslim perspective. Why is that? Can we see this next picture? Because, here's the next one. Because, if you look at the top left, there's the Codex Vaticanus 666. Okay, 350 A.D. 
This is a symbol in Arabic that the Muslims write on everything. It, they write it on everything, and it means, this symbol in Islam means in the name of Allah. So he looked at the Codex of Vaticanus and saw those three, uh, the Greek spelling of 666, and what did he see from his perspective, from his mind? He saw Arabic. And he saw in the name and the, ne the number of the man will be, and according to him, what he saw from his perspective, his mind was in the name of Allah. Whew. That to me is uh, worth pausing and thinking about because when we think about it, you know, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says this. Genesis 3.15 says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, right? Ask yourself this. What world political tr system treats women worse than Islam? For real. So I mentioned this, uh, or I mentioned um, last week that, I, I that many believe the Antichrist is to come out of Rome. I mentioned that earlier tonight, right? And there's good reason for that as well, okay? If... But doesn't, doesn't, if he is somehow tied into Allah and Islam, doesn't that disqualify him from coming out of Rome necessarily? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And this is where we're going to finish strong tonight. Okay? Uh, Antichrist in the context of Rome, okay, is a bad translation. Okay? If you look at the Greek the, for what we receive as anti in our uh, English, that word in the Greek really just means over, against, or instead of. So instead of Christ. Instead of Christ is what that really means versus anti, we think opposite or against, right? It is instead of Christ. In Latin, the title of the Pope is the Vicar of Christ, what the vicar of Christ means in Latin is in the place of Christ, in the stead of Christ, instead of Christ. As a matter of fact, every pope uh, believes that they sit on Peter's throne, right? And they'll say, uh, it was actually uh, Pope, uh, I believe it was Pope John Paul II or the one before him. Mm. Somebody can correct me if they know I'm wrong. Uh, that said, if the word of the Pope ever disagrees with the words of Christ in the scripture, you go with the words of the Pope because Christ can change his mind. <laughs> Not even making that up that it was a quote of one of our more recent popes. So with that, let me jump to Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 and read you something. This comes out of the famous chapter where we get the 70 weeks, 69 weeks, and the Messiah is cut off, and that lined up perfectly with Palm Sunday, 32 AD, a fun study we'll likely get into here in a few weeks. But let's read Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. Like I say, we're going to finish strong here tonight. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Okay? Because he gave himself for the sin of the world, right? For you. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. What prince to come is he referring to? Remember, 
Everything from Daniel chapter 7, he's already prophesying the end time kingdom that is to come. The Antichrist figure, the little horn, all of that, it's already been laid down. The prince that is to come in the end, the people of the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood, and till the end of the war, desolations are, dis are determined. Does anybody know who destroyed the temple? Who destroyed the prince who is the, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the temple. Rome destroyed the temple. Titus destroyed the temple. But we also have to remember, so Rome, how, I'm still having a hard time tie, potentially tying together uh, a potentially Islamic antichrist figure with Rome. How, the, we've got to remember that the eastern leg of Rome survived. When Rome fell, the city of Rome in Italy, that part of the, uh, of the empire fell, the eastern part of the empire lived on for another thousand years. And they moved, they moved the capital from Rome to Constantinople. Can I see this next uh, map? Let me just take a look at this map. You see Asia Minor, you see Rome and Italy, Move it over. This is how large the Roman Empire was at its height. Well, move over to modern-day Turkey, right above Judea, Asia Minor there. Constantinople and modern-day Turkey became the new capital of the Roman Empire after Rome fell. And they uh, uh, Constantine made that move. And that led a lot of people to, th to believe that he was a type of Antichrist as well throughout history. So... Um, so could we see this Antichrist figure rise up out of that out of that Asia Minor arena? Quite possibly. Could it be the Pope? Could the Pope be the false prophet? The Antichrist figure have Islamic ties, if nothing else? I think that is all on the table. As a matter of fact, that symbol that Walid Shabbat that you saw a minute ago in that picture, uh, that is a symbol that uh, jihadis tie and put on their right arm or on their forehead as they often go into battle. Uh, is that the mark of loyalty? Is it, will that be the mark, the seal of loyalty to this Antichrist figure? Or is it a microchip? You got, we got every, we got to keep everything on the table at this point, in my opinion. Okay. Um, certainly if we're going to be talking about DNA altering stuff, I think it's all, all on the table and it's going to be all part of a global end time world system. As we've been talking about recently, the Pope just this past week got together with, uh, leaders of Islam and Jewish leaders, he being the leader of the church getting together in the birthplace of Abraham and the Ur of the Chald Chaldeans to talk world religion, essentially, and peace among the religions and finding common ground that, as the Pope said, we're all the children of God together. So, in any case, guys, um, in the end, I don't believe that we'll see uh, the Antichrist and have to deal with him because uh, I believe we'll be gone. I believe we'll be gone. As we've studied through this, that we are not earth dwellers, right? Okay? There will be a new dynamic. There will be a new dynamic. The restrainer is removed when all of this is happening. So, largely, uh, much of this study after Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 for us as the church is academic. 
you know, but it's fun in any case. And, and, we, and especially as we see uh, global, the global elites, the deep state, uh, which is not just in the U.S., it's a global, global shadow government stepping onto the scene. Uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. But we can know that our time is nearby, can't we? We can know our time, that the time of the rapture is, is quickly coming upon us if we uh, know what's going to come and if we see these things start to happen. So, I mean, we've even seen uh, nations that were out of the picture suddenly come back onto the scene and reemerge. Uh, can, can I see this next graphic? And we talk about the, we talk about, uh, oh, one more, one more. Sorry about that, Eva. Extra graphic in there. There it is. We've seen uh, all of these nations that were just once the you know, big part of the Ottoman Empire uh, come back onto the scene. These nations that would have to be present for the tribulation period to play out ex exactly as uh, it's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and other places. As far as Assyria, uh, Iraq came onto the scene in 1922. Syria back in... 1938, don't confuse Assyria with Syria. Really, Assyria was uh, those two Greek uh, empires, and their land was in Iraq and Syria. Really, it's the, the modern-day Kurdish people that want their own nation back, right? So, uh, uh, who are also the lineage of the Magi, as we study at Christmas time. So, everything is on the table here, guys. So, let's just, let's do one big wrap-up here. I told you we'd finish strong on power through here if you just gave me 10 minutes, didn't I? So the coming world leader, let's do a little recap here. He's coming out. What did we read tonight? Let's take a look at this graphic. He's going to have a big mouth, Mr. Big Mouth, right? Uh, he's going to be, uh, the leader will be the son of Satan. He'll be the son of Satan of the seed line that we saw in Genesis chapter 3, described in Isaiah 27, Ezekiel 28, and here in Revelation 13. He will obviously have to be an intellectual genius, to pull all of this off. He will be an oratorical genius. Uh, Daniel 11 talks about the grace that he has and the, uh, the words, and he's so convincing and everything. He'll be a commercial genius as well, and there's your scripture references. He'll be a military genius as he makes war. He will be a governmental genius as he is the head of a one-world global government. And he'll also be a religious genius. Mm, and that false prophet will cause everyone to worship him. Who could that false prophet be? Who could be bringing everybody together uh, to worship one person potentially? And that speaks to me like the Pope uh, and his language lately. In any case, in any case, you know the reformers, the church fathers, the fathers of the Reformation. If you read. There, the I think it's 1599 Geneva Bible in the footnotes, like we have our study Bibles. When you read through Revelation, they're like, and you read something that says the Antichrist or in Daniel, they'll say, and that's the Pope. It's they thought it was the Pope. I think it's more likely he's the false prophet. Um, in any case, we uh, he will exalt himself. Uh, he'll be a religious genius, but he'll exalt himself above all that is called God. Okay. How will he be accepted by both Jew and Muslim? Again, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I think we'll watch it from the, the mezzanine, from the balcony, but we'll see. And finally, in conclusion, uh, what did we see? The two beasts of Revelation chapter 13. One out of the sea with seven heads and ten horns, heads with the name of blasphemy, 
One of the heads is deadly wounded. His deadly wound is healed, powered by the dragon for three and a half years. He overcomes the saints that are on, quote, I should put that in quotations, the saints that are upon the world at that time, and the earth dwellers worship him. Again, remembering overcoming the saints to become a Christian in that time, especially if you're a Gentile, means you're beheaded. Again, the beheading, the beheading speaks to Islam as well, doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, and all those not written in the book of life, he, they worship him. Then we have the beast out of the earth, the false prophet. Okay, so the beast out of the sea is the Antichrist, the beast out of the earth, the false prophet. Has two horns like a lamb, speaks as the dragon, speaks as the dragon, causes the earth to worship the first beast, deceives the earth with miracles, real miracles empowered by Satan, forces worship of an image of the first beast, and all receive a mark in their right hands or foreheads. No man can buy or sell without the name or number of the first beast. And we'll close there tonight. I hope you have found this uh, time spent with us in the word to be profitable. And I hope, as I mentioned before, we covered a lot of stuff, most comprehensive study on one chapter of, of Revelation 13 we've ever done. And, I, and, and still, what are we in an hour and a half that we've been doing this? Moved, it went quickly though, didn't it? I feel like it went quickly. Eve is saying no, I felt that it went quickly anyway. Uh, I hope that this is still just the jumping off point for you in your studies of this. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys on Sunday, 10.30 a.m. at the Rutledge West in Pegram, Tennessee uh, for in-person worship and service. And uh, I'll be excited to see you guys. And uh, we'll live stream that as well as usual. So uh, with that, we'll be back next Wednesday night for Revelation chapter 14. Uh, as we say, God willing, uh, uh, God willing, we'll be here. Uh, everything up to his will. Amen. So with that, church, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he keep, make his face to shine upon you. May he pour his favor out on your life. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. Have a good night.